I don't know about all of you, but I sometimes like a mental challenge or mental battle of different kinds that, uh, not necessarily chess, but other strategy games, you know, where you battle against one another and try and figure out how you can outsmart the other person. Maybe you're someone else and you prefer something like crosswords or sudokus, and you like that challenge of trying to, you know, work in your mind out the problem. Maybe in college or in high school, you were not an athlete, you were a mathlete, and that was your kind of competition. You liked a, a mental challenge more than a physical challenge. Well, if that's true of you, you are in luck because our passage today in First Peter tells us that we need to mentally prepare for battle, to mentally prepare for for battle. And so we're going to continue our look at 1 Peter, a New Testament letter, and here he wants us to get our minds ready. That our minds are going to be assaulted in different ways and we need to have our minds ready, not to fill out the crossword, not to play this game of chess, but to live the Christian life. So if you would like, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is near the end of the New Testament. And we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word, and we thank you that you do speak to us. And we pray that your word would go forth today as the rain falls to the earth and gives life, that your word would go forth in the power of the Spirit and fall on us and give us life that we would have open hearts and minds to receive what you have to say and that you would use me to proclaim your word in spite of my own weakness and sin. Lord, plant the seeds in us and help them to grow, that we would grow in godliness and in holiness. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we start peeling away what we have in our passage here today. The, the basic thought that Peter is trying to get across to us is that our minds need to be ready to focus on something, to focus on our heavenly blessings in Jesus Christ. And by focusing our minds there on our hope in Christ, we are to live holy lives as God's children. 
So this hope leads to holiness as we live as God's children. And so as we look at our passage, we're going to start by looking at the importance of the mental battle. That it is a kind of mental battle that our minds have to get right. And then we're going to look at where our battle is fought. That there are two fronts for our battle. That we are fighting on an internal front and an external front. So our passage today opens with a call to mental preparation. And Peter uses two illustrations in verse 13. First, he literally tells them to gird up the loins of their mind. Now, our English translations tend to rightly modernize, gird up the loins, because we don't do much loin girding anymore. To gird up your loins in ancient times was wearing a long tunic. And to gird them up would be to pull up the tunic and somehow tuck, fasten, tighten it around the waist so the legs were able to move a little better instead of running around in a man dress. And so you often did this whether you were going to work or going to war. And so Peter is saying that you need to do this with your mind. To gird up the loins of your mind. To prepare your mind for action, for battle, for work. And so we need to get our minds prepared and battle ready. He follows that up with a second illustration that's more obvious to us, and that is sobriety. That not only do we need to be battle ready with our minds, but we need to be thinking clearly. And so by sober-minded, he means that we need to be thinking clearly enough that we are not staggering and led astray as if we had drunk a lot of alcohol. And so he wants us to be mentally prepared mentally prepared. This concept of mental preparation has been popularized in recent years with the term mindfulness. Mindfulness. It means the practice of intentional thinking or decision-making. Now, if you think about that, that Peter is telling us to gird up the loins of our mind, to be sober-minded, and that even our culture is recognizing that mindfulness is a good thing, all of that assumes that on our own, our minds are not naturally battle-ready. They are not naturally clear-thinking. They are not naturally mindful. In other words, we struggle with mental self-control. That sin encumbers our minds, our ability to think clearly. After all, have you ever been doing something, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait, what am I doing? Wait, what, how did I, what am I doing in the kitchen? What am I doing out here? And we, if we forget, we lose track of what we are doing. And especially in our culture today, we can become intoxicated with various forms of digital entertainment, social media, and we can find ourselves distracted through these various televised things. See, we can look down at our phones or up at our TVs and then look away and two hours have passed. I was just looking at cat videos on YouTube or checking Pinterest and it's been two hours and we don't realize it. You see, our mind can wander even when we're supposed to be paying attention or listening. Whether we're driving a car and we're thinking, wait, how did I get here? Whether we're talking to someone and there's someone that we have a tendency to just tune out. Like, wait, did you ask me a question? Or maybe it's Sunday morning and we're sitting here going, listening to the sermon, and all of a sudden, just just kind of drowns out. We just, wait, what was he saying? I don't really understand. 
You see, our minds are not always ready. Our minds are not always prepared and clear thinking. And so Peter is calling us to a battle-ready, clear-thinking mind. But he doesn't just want us to use our time well. He wants us to be thinking clearly in a very specific way. He wants us to have this mental resolve so that we can set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's the battle. That our minds should be ready to think clearly in light of our hope in Jesus. So what is that hope? Well, last week in verses 3 through 12, we looked at this hope, that it is a heavenly hope, that we have been born again, that we possess an eternal inheritance in heaven, that we have been called to be God's people living in exile here until he returns. And this hope of heaven that we have should influence and shape our minds as it concerns our values, our thoughts, our desires, and our decisions. And that's a battle. It's a battle because we all struggle with sin, and so internally, we have to battle our own sinful desires. But not only that, around us, there are temptations to compromise, temptations to be mindless, temptations to go against what we believe. And so there's an internal front to this battle and an external front. And the rest of this passage shows us the battlefields and our plan of attack. In verses 14 through 16, we see the internal battlefronts. And Peter wants us thinking about children. So when you think about being a child, what do you think about? What conveys the essence of being a child? See, Peter here in verses 14 through 16 wants to show us two competing perspectives on childhood. One that is good and one that is bad. Here's what he writes in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So on the one hand, children can be characterized by ignorance. I'm sorry, kids. They don't understand the world the way adults do. Whether we're thinking about toddlers wondering why every toy is not mine, or a kid who would prefer to eat bags of candy to plates of vegetables. Or teenagers who want all of the independence and none of the responsibility. Kids, in many ways, are defined by their ignorance. And this ignorance is especially seen in passions and desires. That kids have strong desires. And they want those desires to be fulfilled. And they are not afraid to throw themselves on the floor and kick and scream to get those desires fulfilled. And so one way we can think about childhood is it is a period of ignorance where we pursue our passions and desires. That picture of childhood is contrasted, on the other hand, with obedient children. Peter takes a more positive outlook with that phrase. It's more positive because ignorance is a problem to be corrected, not an impulse to feed. Peter portrays children as young people who are learning from their parents how to be functioning adults. In other words, it's their job to grow up, quite the opposite of the Toys R Us kid or Peter Pan who avoid the responsibilities of adulthood. See, Peter obviously prefers this model of overcoming ignorance by obedience. 
He's saying obedient children is what I want you to be, not ignorant passion seekers like kids tend to be. The problem is, though, we live in a world and our hearts are captured by this world that says the opposite, that chooses passion time and again. See, the motto of our world is all around us. It is sung in pop music. It is echoed in Disney movies. It is litigated in the courts. It is championed online. And the motto of our culture is this, follow your heart's desire. Follow your heart's desire. And yet, this is exactly the opposite of what Peter is calling us to do. He says we should not conform to the ignorant passions of our hearts. Rather, we should be obedient children living like our Heavenly Father. And the primary way we do that, he says, is by being holy. See, in the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to be like God, to live like His character, and to be holy. To be holy as I am holy. And the same goes for Christians today. That instead of following the desires of our hearts, we follow God's word. It involves obeying his commands, being obedient children. See, our internal battle front as Christians involves reminding ourselves that we have been born again to a new life. That we are no longer ignorant, passion-chasing children Rather, we are called to be holy children of God. And so our minds need to be battle-ready to fight against these sinful desires. We need to be clear-headed to prepare ourselves for situations where our own hearts are leading us to follow away from God instead of toward Him. You see, there's a big difference between being childlike and childish. To be childish means to act selfishly in sight of short-sighted pursuits and desires. But to be childlike means to rely on the example and the provision of our parents. We must prepare our minds to be childlike instead of childish, trusting that our Heavenly Father knows what is best for us and He desires us to live according to His example. And so we have this internal battle fighting against our own sinful desires, seeking to live as our God does. But we also have an external battle we're facing. In verses 17 through 21, Peter shifts focus that we need to be mentally prepared for the pressure to conform to the world around us. And Peter does this by fleshing out further the idea of God as Father, that as his children, we want to be like God. Children want to be like their mom and dad, despite the answers I think we got this morning. Um, they want to be like cuckoo clocks, right? So They want to dress up in their clothes. They want to do things that they do. They want to like things that they like. They unknowingly pick up quirky traits from their parents. But God says that children should look to their parents as more than role models. Parents are authorities. That's what Peter's getting at in verse 17. He writes, If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So Peter is drawing attention to the father's role as judge and authority. See, parents hold authority over their children. They don't play favorites. They judge fairly, right? Hopefully, maybe except for that one instance when we played favorites. But 
God also holds authority over his own people. And Peter says that this recognition of God as our judge and authority should lead us to fear. Now, the concept of fearing God is tricky for Christians in our modern times, that we tend to think of fearing God as that there's this guy up in the clouds, and if we do something wrong, he has a finger like we would use on an ant, and he's just coming down to go, boom, and he's going to crush us, and that we have this kind of fear, and we think of fear of God in those terms, that we are fearing that he will smite us and judge us and all of that, and well, that's true in some ways. And yet the New Testament tells us as Christians, particularly in Romans 8, that we need not fear condemnation. That if God has saved us by his grace, he's not going to kick us out because of a sin. That God will not condemn those he has saved. God does not unsave people. And so that's the wrong kind of fear, this kind of you get the boot, But verse 18 helps us to understand the fear that Peter is talking about. Peter continues, he says this, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, that ways inherited from your forefathers, Peter is using a specific Greek word there. And that term, we don't really have an English word for it, but it described the family or cultural customs that were passed down from generation to generation. In the ancient world, this was a positive thing. It was the family code or the cultural code you lived by. It's, this is how we do things in my house, or this is how we do things in these parts. And it was a positive thing. It's what held society together, that you didn't want to go against your tribe or your family or the people you cared about. And that's the kind of fear Peter is thinking of. Fearing bringing shame and dishonor against the ones who love us and have come before us. And yet instead of fearing our elders, our ancestors, our family, Peter tells us our fear should be fear of God. And so Peter takes this term that had always been used positively to describe family codes, and he says it is futile worthless. He recognizes that we can be in constant fear of disappointing others, of disrupting the balance of our family of social, or our social group, that we may compromise our beliefs or we may go against what we know we should do because we don't want to disappoint others. And yet Peter is saying our fear should not primarily be of family, of cultural groups, of our tribe, whatever it may be, Our fear should primarily be of God. Peter explains why God deserves our utmost fear. He says, God is the one who ransomed us, who paid the cost of our salvation, not with silver, gold, or any amount of money, but with the precious blood of his son, his son who obeyed, his son who was holy like he was holy, his son who rose again from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. Peter is saying, I know that your family group has done great things for you. They have done wonderful things for us, but God has done more. Though your parents may have planned their whole lives around you, their child, God planned the history of the entire world around saving you through his child. 
Though our parents may have cleaned countless of our own poopy diapers, God cleansed us in the deepest recesses of our hearts of the darkest sins that no one knows about. Though brave men and women may have fought to defend the freedom of our nation so we could be at peace, God our fathers promises us an eternal inheritance in a land of peace that will never be taken away. Though our close friends may be there when we are sad or having a difficult time, God is with us in the most difficult time, at the time of death, with the promise of new life in the resurrection. You see, there are many people who've passed down legacies to us, and that's a good thing. We don't want to disappoint them. Many people have gone before us and done great things for us, and we will be tempted to fear their disapproval more than God's disapproval. We will be tempted to live for them instead of for our Heavenly Father. And so Peter urges us to prepare our minds to think clearly about what God has done for us, about what God has promised us, about what Jesus is prepared to give us when he returns. You see, it's our future hope that helps us live as holy children now. And as we live in this world now, we remember we are exiles. We are not people of this world with our families primarily. We are people of a different family, of a different kingdom, that our true home is in heaven with the Father. And when our passions are so earthly and tied to this life, we can forget and our minds can lose their battle readiness. We can get swayed by the people of this world as well the influence of the ones we love most, forgetting what God has done for us. And so Peter is saying to all of us, get battle ready in your minds. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to hope, for it is in that hope that leads to holiness. Let us pray for the Holy Spirit to help us hope, hope in the grace that will be ours to help us be holy as God our Father is holy. For in that way, we are living as exiles, as children in this world. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for your many blessings in our lives. We ask that you would please help us to be holy. May we fix our hope firmly on you. We pray that the things of this earth would not captivate our minds, but that we would be so ready and clear thinking that our minds are fixed on you and that that would control us each and every day. Can't do it on our own, God. Give us your grace and the Holy Spirit to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.